probably the one thing that has changed maybe in the last 20 or 30 years is the idea of kind of making products that are, you know, sort of better for people. You know, so obviously human factors, human-centered design, you know, has been a, you know, it's still it's still driven really by the economics, still, you know, it's still human factors for a business um, driven by business priorities. But I guess that does take us into a more sort of a slightly softer interpretation of design, which isn't purely economic, it's about improving quality of life. Welcome to the 21st Century Design Podcast. My name is Rodrigo Bautista. This is a research podcast by Jan Laysens and myself, in which we interview designers, tech experts, writers, academics, and activists on the future of design. Yeah, no, so, um, so thank you for the welcome and the invite. Uh, I'm Chris Sherwin. Um, I'm Head of Sustainability in Global uh, Design and Innovation Agency, Seymour Powell. Um, and I'm, a, I'm um, 20 years of working at um, unconnecting sustainability to design practice uh, um, in various different roles. You know, I've done that in corporate positions. I've done it in um, kind of um, not-for-profits like Forum for the Future. Um, and uh, I've also been doing that in um, design and branding agencies in the last few years. Welcome, Chris. And let's start with the first question. So the first question how would you define design and what does design mean to you? Um, so I usually um, think of design probably in two ways um, and, uh, and, and um, it's probably best to understand those as design with a big D and design with a, design with a capital D and design with a small D. Um, so I think design with a small D is probably the practice of design and I think of that as um, almost as the profession of design, as practicing designers who would usually receive a fee for doing some kind of project for a client where they are improving the, uh, the performance, the functionality or visual aspects of a product or service or piece of communications that a client will have set to them as a brief and they usually you know, receive a fee for that. You know, that profession the industrial design profession that I work in is about maybe 120 years old. That will be practiced almost entirely by kind of professionally trained designers. Um, I guess the other interpretation is a, is a much wider interpretation of design, and I think that's the, the activity of designing, probably design with a, with a big D, and essentially that's much wider, and that's just, I guess put simply, that's about um, anybody changing a situation from a current state to an improved state you know that's basically trying to make improvements to the world and you know that can be as simple as rearranging the coins in your pocket from the smallest to the largest you know or taking on a, ta a task to you know i don't know improve your um, diary or your um, time management or things like that that's a really much broader definition of design that's more about the kind of activity of design doesn't necessarily you wouldn't necessarily need to be paid for any of that stuff yeah it's basically you know taking a current situation and um, and improving it and making it better through through design thinking there's a really interesting debate isn't there about what's the role of designer if anybody can do design the professional designer if anybody um, if anybody can do design thinking and it's a little bit concerning for us you know as guys who get paid for all of this stuff yeah. you know you sort of are well, we designing ourselves out of out of our, out of our existence and of course I think what the conclusion is that it is a bit useful to have a designer almost you know at the center or facilitating that process with people I mean I guess it's the co-development idea the co-design idea that there is some you know kind of core skills that we've got you know we don't need to be doing the actual designing and actually we in some cases shouldn't even be doing the design and it should be people themselves that are doing that 
you know, kind of making their own lives better and making you know, their own choices because that helps them buy into the ideas much better than if somebody else dreams up dreams things up for them. Indeed. So, um, but but I still think there is a bit. You know, I think and hope there is still a role for design, even if we do decentralize design in 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 in, um, in this way. And basically, that takes me to question number two, which is the definition and function of design has evolved over the years. And so this this question is a lot like a timeline from past, present to future, and how would you describe design the main focus uh, over the past? Yeah. Uh, what is at the moment? Where, where do you think it's heading? And we start touching this decentralization, but if you can think about the question like a timeline past, present, and future. Yeah. So I guess, I mean, the activity of design that we've talked about will have, you know, gone on since, I mean, it's almost probably a part of, you know, kind of human, the human psyche and human nature to make, you know, to make the world better for us. But so I'm not really going to concentrate on that because I don't think that's probably changed very much since, you know, that, you know, since we, um, you know, moved from trees onto the, onto the sort of plains and savannas two million years ago. But I guess it's probably more interesting to talk about it, how, the, how the profession of design has changed. And I think, you know, probably the profession of design, the area that I work in, you know, is recognized as a profession for about 100, you know, kind of the turn of the, of the 20th century. It's probably the, you know, the, the beginnings of industrial design. And I think throughout that century, it was largely, you know, that as a profession, largely um, its role was, was largely seen as linked to um, economics and the commercialization of, you know, ideas and products for clients in most cases to stimulate consumption and um, you know increase increase product sales and, you know in that role I think the story of design in the 21st century is pretty much about the business of design um, you know, there's a really great book by Adrian Forty um, you know which talks about you know we've always we've always we tell the history of design as an aesthetic movement but actually we never tell it as an economic you know kind of force to stimulate consumption and production and get people to buy more stuff and that's great for manufacturers and in something and certainly when we created that idea of design it was also um, you know, we thought it was great for people as well because um, you know, they get, they, you know, they we've improved their standard of living by giving them better, better products, and you know, make stuff that's better for them and works better, and give them access to you know, kind of material consumption. And probably the one thing that has changed, maybe in the last twenty or thirty years, is the idea of kind of making products that are you know sort of better for people you know so obviously human factors human centered design you know has been a you know it's still it's still driven really by the economics and driven by business priorities but i guess that does take us into a more sort of a slightly softer interpretation of design which isn't purely economic it's about improving quality of life for people using the products and services that, that, that we design you know pretty much whenever we talk about good design at the moment it tends to be you know design that's good for business and good for people if you like you know it's, it's stuff that's better to use that can take you into you know the whole kind of um you know design for handicap design for the disadvantaged all those sorts of areas i guess where one of the issues that's emerged maybe on the periphery of design in the last 10 or 20 years is, is the idea of kind of designing for sustainability, you know, kind of st stimulated very much by the rise of the environmental movement. And I think, you know, obviously I'm the head of sustainability, so of course I would say this, but I think... Um, <laughs> we saw it coming. <laughs> yeah, we did, um, unfortunately. <laughs> seen it coming, I'm not sure. I'm not sure in quite enough of the design world sees it coming. And, and, and is uh, you know completely open to um, uh, you know to accepting uh, this this big change. Um, you know if, if you ask me what the big what the big movement's going to be in the next this this century, two big ideas for for the, for the 21st century. They're probably information and ecology, right? And we've and, we, and, in, and in our field we've seen you know we've seen um, the digital revolution. I mean really really change 
the way we do design and there's entirely new design practices that have grown up as a result of that like interaction design and you know kind of web design I think ecology is a little bit been a little bit slower um, you know I think you know, businesses are now starting to look at ecological models, um, you know, for running their businesses and, um, you know, adopting all sorts of interesting models like biomimicry and cradle to cradle. And I think design's going to catch up with all of that stuff. You know, I really think that, you know, the idea of ecology and sustainability being one of the fundamental models for the way we organize the world in the future is, is, absolute, is, is absolutely true. And I think it'll be the same for design. You know, we won't drop all of the things that we used to do. It'll still probably have a quite important role. In, um, in business and certainly in you know kind of human factors and um, making stuff make, making the world better for people but I think um, you know the, the, the dominant the dominant new force for design is going to be sustainability and ecology very nicely to the third question which is what do you think is the biggest contribution that design can make to humanity and what do you think is the main problems designers should attempt to solve in this century? I mean, there are many. <laughs> you only have to watch the news to see that, um, you know, the world is facing some really thorny challenges. Um, you know, the rise of refugee issues, um, displacement of populations, you know, through to water scarcity, you know, climate change, resource scarcity. I mean, I think, you know, but I guess rather than having a, um, so it's, a, it, you know, it feels like it's quite an exhaustive list to tackle. I mean, I still think I come back to maybe three or four issues that feel that feel like they haven't probably changed for the last 30 or 40 years and they are you know kind of climate change i mean these are probably too big to solve as single design briefs which has always been the problem with the sustainability world that it feels like you've got to sort of boil the ocean you know but um, you know so cli climate change you know how we're going to do that you know the, the number of really great design challenges in climate change is you know just I mean, it's, it's daunting, but it's also really exciting. I think the same with resource scarcity, you know, kind of the scarcity of resources and, you know, kind of resource availability and waste issues is really a massive challenge and opportunity for the design world. And I would also say, I mean, I'd probably put poverty and inequality in together. Um, you know, that only seems to be on the increase, you know, more social issues than environmental uh, environmental issues, but of course they are in, in, inevitably linked. I still feel that they're probably the dominant challenges for humanity of our time and all of the other things, you know, even probably water shortages so closely linked to, you know, water scarcity, so closely linked to climate change that it probably, you know, isn't worth thinking about that, you're thinking about differently. So I'm thinking about like what capabilities, what skills designers need now for starting to scratch the surface, to collaborate in these big issues in order yeah. to have a positive impact? What, what do you think we need? I mean, I still feel that there are quite a lot of skills that designers have got that are going to be useful in this new century and in um, this, you know, kind of new sustainability-driven revolution. You know, in some ways, we don't need to we don't need to drop all of the things that we're doing already, you know, kind of the creative skills, abilities to, to iterate, exploring problems and solutions together, you know, all the things that designers seem to do quite well and all the things that we're trained to do. I think, we're, you know, it does feel like we're, we're a few skills missing. Um, I think there's one really very obvious one. You know, it's it's what, what I would call ecological literacy, you know, so... I mean, I trained as a, as a designer probably, ooh, um, it's a bit scary to say this, but maybe 20 years ago now. And actually, as I, you know, my, my entire career has been in the sustainability world, and I feel a little bit cheated by my professional training. The new world that I have to operate in, you know, being trained in things like, you know, kind of manufacturing and technical issues and, you know, kind of probably to some extent even human factors and aesthetics and, you know, how you draw, you know, how you sketch and draw and visualize ideas. 
that was all great, but I was, I've been, I'm just missing a really important part, and it is this biology and ecology as a, as a model for designing. Um, you know, when I kind of look back now, at, you know, I've, just, I've actually just done a biomimicry course online, just done the really, really basic one, and I just feel like, you know, I, was, I, 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 you know, I just don't have the training or the, or the sort of background in, the, in, that, in that world to be able to sort of take this on quite as quickly and as, as sort of in-depth and as naturally as I, think I, as I think I should. You know, it's really clear to me now that designers kind of coming through you know, design colleges and art schools and even technical schools should have modules that are about biology and ecology. You know, they just should should learn all of this stuff and, it, and they should come out as well-rounded designers that know, you know, how to apply biological thinking and know about the impacts of the choices they make on ecosystems and, you know, how, um, you know, kind of things interconnect as naturally as they would, would understand a manufacturing process for, for a client and, um, you know, as, as, as naturally as they would understand you know, the sort of cultural history of, of, of products or, um, you know, visual language and, th and things like that. So, yeah, definitely kind of ecological and biological literacies really seems to me to be quite missing from the curriculum of, of, um, of designers. When you think about universal principles for design, it's like, yeah, there is nothing about biomimicry there, right? Like you can buy books about it, references, education, and probably even now, unless you are trying to add a model for sustainability, and it's probably still very, very out of the picture. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, yeah, I know I, um, so, you know, we, and we might we might solve that in projects by actually, you know, I know what, what biomimicry talks about quite a lot, is having a biologist at the table. And of course the model for design, probably even today, and certainly in the future, is that you don't have to do it all yourself. Um, I think there's a couple more. Can I can I mention a couple of a couple more if, that, if that's okay? Please. I think th th these two might be the same, but I think um, the sort of empathy and humility. Um, you know, I think so empathy is coming through quite a lot. Lot I think already with um, you know kind of empathic design being quite strongly linked to human-centered um, you know design design processes. But I think our, our view of, em of empathic design at the moment tends to only be empathy for the user. Um, and I think again that's got to expand a little bit to empathy for all people across the you know sort of supply chain or value chain of what we do. So so you know kind of empathy I think a broader definition, but. I think humility is a good one. You know, we, we're probably just coming out of a phase where, you know, the sort of where, where we've got the idea of the sort of superstar designer. You know, the big, the big name, the big famous designers. You know, are at the, are at the sort of centre of the. You know, it's quite sort of celebrity driven, and you know, I wonder how useful that is. That it, that is to us. You know, in a, in a, in a, in the twenty first century. Um, you know, and actually, I think um, you know, having a bit of a bit of wider humility to other designers, but actually to the rest of the world and to you know, sort of future generations and things like that. That actually, we're not. You know, we don't need to be superstars, and we're not the centre of the universe and all of this stuff. And actually, we're just providing a you know, a sort of service or a function to make the world better. You know, I feel that I feel that we would be in a stronger position if we, you know, a good dose of humility never hurt anybody. I think. Um, and then I guess the final one is, is probably um, for, for the design world to be a little bit more entrepreneurial. You know, it still feels like um, still feels like a tiny voice in the business and in, in you know in amongst business and society. You know that we're sort of putting our hands up and trying to get our voice heard amongst the clamour of lots of other um, voices. And um, you know, probably in general, we're trying to improve our, our sort of profile and our voice, but certainly in the sustainability world, to even be heard amongst all of the other noisy voices of sort of strategists and, um, you know, supply chain people and, um, you know, other kinds of scientific experts. Um, you know, it feels that we, you know, we probably need to, a, a way to do that would be, 
not to sort of passively wait around and expect this to happen and come our way. It's probably to be a little bit more entrepreneurial on this stuff and actually get the design world to start promoting some new initiatives and some new ideas and, you know, yeah, not waiting for it to happen um, and come to us, but actually be at the forefront of making all of this stuff happen. Great. Um, so that, that t- takes us to the final question, which is about what are your favorite design examples and stories who supply these three principles or these three ideas with empathy, humility, and also thinking about entrepreneurial, uh, from an entrepreneurial perspective. Uh, who are your design heroes? I'm probably you're already saying that and we need to overcome that idea, no? but favorite design examples, stories, who are your design heroes and why? I mean, I think I can talk about one in, re- in really a lot of detail and I hope you don't mind it, if it that it doesn't um, seem like such a shameless plug um, because it's obviously something that we just worked on. But, um, you know, I'm really in awe of what the Fairphone guys are doing. But I think chiefly I like it because, you know, they're, they're design guys. You know, it is it is a design-driven approach. Um, and, you know, when I look at, when I look at um, what they're doing, you know, which is essentially trying to, you know, so they've, they've taken what was historically a campaign. You know, it would have, a campaign for kind of fairer and more ethical mining would have sat quite comfortably in an NGO, campaigning NGO like Friends of the Earth or... Um, you know, Greenpeace or, or, or whomever, and, they, and they've obviously taken it, taken that what is what is now a quite old and tired model, and um, you know dragged it kicking and screaming into the 21st century, and um, you know said in a really practical way it, it's going to be much more convincing if we just do this, you know, so we don't campaign and beat the drum for um, to stop businesses from doing existing organizations from doing this badly or even to try and work with somebody to you know kind of do it better because um, those tactics would probably not have been um, particularly effective you know what they've done is they've set up their own business and just gone and done it <laughs> and um, you know and we started talking to them when they were promoting that idea and I thought they were pretty crazy to be honest I thought they got no chance of you know, guys who've never worked in an electronics industry um, getting it you know really getting a phone produced and out into the market and even if they did nobody would buy it um, but they've gone and done it, and you know they've got this um, loyal kind of crowd of advocates, 60,000 people who love what they do, who are a, an amazing voice for them. You know, and it feels like a community that actually isn't owned by Fairphone, it's owned by all the users and all the advocates. And um, um, it's not a perfect phone, it's not a perfect product, but as you know, working in this field, it's impossible to design a perfect kind of sustainable product. And if you, have, if you actually ever tried to do that, you would be you know, really frustrated and you never get anything out there for the first 25 years. So yeah, a lot, so, so many aspects of, of, of what Fairphone are doing, you know, I really genuinely love in you know, presenting a new model of a sort of campaigning product. You know, the fact that I look at it as a designer and I think, actually, I could do that. You know, this is a sort of inspiration for designers, you know, to say, well, you don't need to be a kind of Harvard graduate or a MBA trained entrepreneur to start to start your own business and, you know, try and create some change. Actually, you know, design guys, people who are doing the same work as me, you know, could, could, could quite easily do the same. Take their approach, which is basically to say any product that you work with every day, you know, use every day, you can sort of rethink it through the principles of fairness and sustainability and start to, you know, kind of work on it and improve it. And yeah, I really, I really like, I really like what they do as I... Yeah, as I love you, it too. They're great. You know, actually, I just, I'm slightly in awe of what they've managed to do. 
and um, I think it's a massive motivation to, to, to me and I think to the rest of the design world. Thank you very much, Chris. It's like this, this example is great, and yeah, we also love the, the Fairphone. I'm going to say final question is just about if you could summarize in a sentence, in a word, uh, why do you love design? What would you say? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I think what I like about design, what I love about design is jumping from the concept to the practical. What we get to do is, you know, sort of ideas into action. And, you know, so we, we don't just get stuck, you know, so I guess as an artist, I would be frustrated personally as an artist because, you know, you might be super creative and your ideas might be, you know, make a real sort of impact on the world, uh, you know, kind of visually, but actually, um, you know, they're not, they're, you know, they're not like the d design, they're not used in the same way as the, as the sort of results of design, as the products of design. But then, of course, you know, if I was, if I was only, you know, a, a manufacturing guy, I would completely miss out the miss out the creative bit as well, you know, where you're just picking up something that exists already and making it happen, which is seriously challenging, by the way. And I've got lots of respect for for, for any community other than designers. But I think what I love about what we do is that sort of, you know, it is the sort of creative into the into the into real, you know, kind of you know trying to make the future real, basically. Make the future real. There you go. Well, thank you very much, Chris, for joining us. Twenty First Century Design is a research podcast by Engage by Design and Regenerative Design. Thanks for listening to this episode, and if you want to hear more, head over to iTunes or SoundCloud and subscribe to the podcast. You can suggest who we should interview next, write and leave a comment on our site, 21stCenturyDesign.org. See you next time.